0: everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group Sunday night special edition. We're happy to have you this evening. Uh, A couple of new things coming out this past week. We're going to talk about a little winter weather that Evan experienced, something that's kind of rare. Uh, Have you ever heard of paper mill effect snow? Maybe. Maybe you haven't. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, We'll talk about some of the snow events we've had over the last week. But first, hot off the presses is the 2020 billion billion dollar weather climate disaster map. And in 2020, uh, 22 weather climate disaster events happened in the country. Uh, These events exceeded one billion dollars in damages that affected the United States. Kind of a breakdown with this. Uh, One of the events was a drought event, 13 severe storm events, seven tropical cyclone events, and one wildfire event uh, occurred in 2020 that uh, accrued damages over a billion dollars. Overall, these uh, events resulted in the death of 262 people and had significant economic impacts on the areas that they affected. Uh, On average, the country sees about seven events, uh, but over the last five years, those seven events kind of doubled to, well, a little bit more than doubled, 16 events. And then in 2020, we had 22 of these events. So um, you'll see the map here and you can kind of see that. I am going to kind of talk a few of the events and I've got the panel here with me and uh, we can kind of talk about any of these that we want to. Um, one of the biggest events, guys, that, that we saw, uh, that we've talked about a few times uh, last year was the Western wildfires that consume more uh, portions of California and Oregon and Washington Um, They called these firestorms, actually, in this uh, in this breakdown Uh, estimated cost was $16.5 billion in the western part of the country uh, with these wildfires and, you know, uh, we talked uh, with Jordan on a previous show that you'll be seeing here shortly. Uh, We didn't really have drought conditions in the Carolinas this year, but there were some parts of the country that did. And uh, out west, these wildfires really created a lot of damage. Guys, um, I know we we saw and shared some images, but it was pretty scary out there at times uh, over the fall with uh, these wildfires.
1: It sure was. We even had smoke reach over here into the eastern United States and into the Carolinas and caused some visibility uh, issues over here. So it was, its impacts were felt far and wide. Um, unfortunately, 2020 was a, a rough year for wildfires across the globe. Many of you will remember the Australia fires and then watching uh, fires unfold in California, Washington, and Oregon, where the burn scars were visible from space uh, and even still are, as well as the Colorado one, Scotty. That one stands out in my mind as one of the uh, more unique uh, and obviously devastating of the year, the Cameron Peak fire that um, is now the largest, or was, I mean, it's over now, <laughs> but is the largest wildfire in Colorado state history. Um, and just did unfold damage in that area as well. Uh, it's heartbreaking to do that, and I can't imagine the, uh, the loss that the folks who are affected that must, uh, must feel.
0: Yeah, definitely some scary stuff. Out of that, uh, Shay, I'll bring you in with this and anybody else who wants to comment. We had seven tropical events that created over a billion dollars in damages, and of those seven, three of them were Greek alphabet, and that was Ada, Zeta, and Delta. Along with Sally, Isaias, Laura, and Hannah. And uh, even the Carolinas had effects with Isaias and um, Ada and Delta, I believe, also affected portions of the Carolinas. But um, when you going into this year, Shay, that 2020 was gonna be a, a pretty active tropical season, but to see seven storms, and of those seven, three of them from the Greek alphabet that created billion dollars of damage uh, is kind of scary. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right, Scotty. This is, this is by far one of the, the craziest years I can ever remember in the hurricane season. We had so many storms that just, you saw some different things this year. You saw storms that rapidly intensified just before making landfall. And, and they then they as they made their way inland, they still didn't weaken as fast as they normally would. So there's some strange anomalies going on with these things this year. Um, it's indicative of, of climate pattern in general. We're seeing some different things with heating that are contributing to rapid rapid intensification. Um, You know, we're still trying to figure out some of the details on that. And and there's a lot of studies going on uh, for rapid intensification because it's becoming a more well-known topic in the Atlantic, which you usually would see down in the Caribbean or even portions of the Gulf, um, the Southern Gulf or the Southern Caribbean areas. Uh, You know, it's just, it's becoming alarming how how much this is happening. I think we saw, several storms that, that did that. Now, when you end up getting them pinched in between the Bermuda High, which basically is clockwise motion over the Atlantic that peels into the Southeast region and, and basically steers storms around it along cold fronts and things that sweep these storms up out of the Gulf. And we just saw surge after surge after surge. These storms pretty much all took the same track. They go north and then they go east because that's what the Coriolis effect does. It keeps the traffic going from west to east across the United States. And uh, at some point in latitude, it's going to start bending and then heading towards the southeast region. And when that happens, you get a a huge slug of gulf moisture that comes up along the east side of the storm. And it just exacerbates the rain situation in in places like the the mountains of North Carolina, the Appalachians, and even Leeside into the Piedmont areas. So we saw a lot of, uh, you know, there's there's technical terms for this. You have isentropic lift, you have all these technical terms, but the bottom line is, just this, this, amount of rainfall that was just dumped over these areas due to these sy- systematic tropical storms, or, you know, by the time they came through, there may have been tropical storms. Um, but these cyclones that just kept making landfall over and over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I, Louisiana, especially uh, along the east side of the storms, they had just some unbelievable amounts of rainfall there too. But I mean, Jordan, I know Jordan can speak to some of the precip. We just had a, a show with him on it. And, uh, i tell you what, man, that was that was something else, especially to see us get that far into the Greek alphabet. It's unheard of.
0: Yeah, definitely so, Shay. Um, Of that uh, of these 22 events, 13 severe weather events, January, February, March, April, and May, all five months had specific uh, events. A couple that we want to talk about, February 2nd through the 5th, we had tornadoes that moved through the area. In fact, uh, parts of uh, uptown Charlotte affected by the, uh, the tornadoes. And uh, we've got some video that we can roll of that. Uh, but we also had events uh, the next month, one that I specifically want to talk about. Uh, it happened March the 3rd and 4th, and this was right before COVID kind of just took over the news cycle. There was an EF4 tornado and an EF-3 tornado that caused considerable damage across the Nashville metroplex, and the EF-4 tornado actually went through downtown Nashville. Uh, this uh, These tornadoes uh, cost $2.5 billion of damage and 25 deaths. I will never forget. It's uh, an event that Uh, kind of fascinated me because it was well captured on all these videos. If you uh, go to YouTube or Twitter and you just type in Nashville 2020 tornado, uh, you can see all of these different videos and perspectives of that tornado moving through downtown Nashville and just scary sight um, for that area. We also saw uh, severe weather events in April, the Easter outbreak, where we saw an EF4 tornado in the uh, southern part of South Carolina all right, guys, that was uh, that was an event I don't think we'll ever forget, uh, you know, uh, 61 uh, tornadoes total for the year in South Carolina, but uh, this April event really produced several tornadoes, uh, damaging tornadoes as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was a late night for many of us here at the Carolina Weather Group as we stayed up into the early morning and even the morning hours uh, going into uh, the 4th, 5th, I don't remember the exact date. There, but the day that the EF four um, did so much damage in South Carolina, Scotty, as you just mentioned, it was a horrific event, um, and unfortunately, one of several that uh, impacted uh, the Carolinas throughout the year.
0: It was, and one other um, event that I want to specifically t- um, for us to talk about uh, occurred on um, August the tenth, twenty twenty, and this was the uh, powerful Doratio that swept through Iowa, causing $11 billion in damage uh, for casualties from this event. But uh, the derecho, uh, I'll just, powerful derecho traveled from Southeast South Dakota to, to Ohio, a path of 770 miles in a 14-hour period creating widespread wind gusts greater than 100 miles per hour. The state's most affected was Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Indiana, and Ohio. Uh, this caused millions of acres of corn and soybean crops to be destroyed across central Iowa. I remember just seeing uh, some of the, uh, the pictures coming out of that. Um, this is all, I mean, the ratios are very powerful thing, but this is almost like an inland hurricane just sweeping through the heart. Of, uh, of Iowa and destroying all these crops.
1: Yeah, I know a good portion of the areas affected by that are still are still unfortunately looking um, quite rough. The, the damage path has yet to be fully uh, replenished and, and rebuilt. Uh, many of the folks out there are still struggling. Um, so if you know, uh, if you're willing to help out, there are many ways to do, uh, do such. But I, I saw a very interesting statistic the other day that applies to this, Scotty. That is 8% of all the lightning strikes in 2020 in Iowa occurred in the very short window of time that derecho moved across the state. That 8% may not sound like a big number, but if you look at you know how the lightning strikes normally placed out throughout the year to have 8% in a six hour period is absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, that was a, just a crazy, crazy system. So uh, those were some of the, uh, the major catastrophes that occurred um, on this uh, as as we finish up 2020, uh, again you can find this information out. Uh, NOAA releases this every year. It's the billion-dollar weather and climate disasters, and uh, these are some interesting uh, things to kind of look back on and see where some of the hardest hit hardest hit areas of the country uh, from the previous year with uh, these um, these catastrophes that caused billions and billions of dollars of damage. So. Uh, With that, uh, we had some weather to talk about. Uh, Evan, I know uh, on Wednesday, January 13th, um, we saw, uh, I guess, a surprise snow uh, when the skies were clear and a big portion of the North Carolina mountains, a localized area, saw a little bit of snow just outside of the Asheville area.
1: Yeah, so we had two distinct, very bizarre weather phenomenons occur this morning in the Asheville area. The first and the one that Scotty has just mentioned was paper mill effect snowfall just to the west of downtown Asheville. If you're familiar with the Asheville area, you'll likely know Canton, North Carolina. It's home to a big paper mill. It smells really bad, but beautiful city. Well, this morning, because of some wild temperature profiles in the lower atmosphere, the uh, particulates being lifted out of the, the paper mill and the extra little boost in the lower level moisture content um, and uh, upward vertical velocity were just enough to create a bit of snowfall downstream of that paper mill. Not only did people see flakes, but there were even, like, there was accumulation. I saw several photos where half an inch to an inch of snowfall accumulated near the plant, uh, which is incredible. That has never happened that I'm aware of in Canton before. Um, that has only ever happened similar to that once in Asheville area a few years ago back on Lake Julian uh, near one of the power plants down there. So that was event number one, happened early this morning. At the same time, 10 to 15 miles to the east in downtown Asheville and areas just to the east of downtown, we had a bizarre phenomenon occur. that I will struggle to explain, so here's my best shot. We had what we believed to be diamond dust this morning. Now, if you know anything about diamond dust, you'll know that it usually occurs in temperatures below negative 10, negative 20 degrees Celsius, oftentimes even colder than that. Uh, it is a very fine crystal that forms out of clear skies, So it'll be blue sky up above and you'll have these tiny little fine crystals forming and they glint in the sunshine and just kind of generally float around and slowly drift towards the ground. Typically that happens in Antarctica or northern Canada. Very, very, very rarely do you see it in an area like the Appalachian Mountains, especially when temperatures are only in the mid-20s Fahrenheit above zero. Um, That's practically unheard of so it, it was a special event for the folks who got to see it uh, it was beautiful to see the little glimmering uh, crystals in the air um, and i'm sure there would be plenty of debate if this were on, uh, recognized by some larger meteorologists about whether or not it was actually diamond dust but i don't see how it couldn't have been i mean every clear blue skies crystals uh, a temperature inversion
2: and a uh, very moist, low level atmosphere. Um, It was, it was fascinating. You know, that's a, that's a really interesting topic to uh, Evan. You know, we've seen that over the great lakes in some areas where airplanes flying through a layer of the atmosphere can actually trigger snow. Um, It just upsets the upper mid-level clouding. There may be a thin layer, maybe some cirrus clouding. You have ice crystals up there. And once you break that barrier, it's almost like the sky punch or the hole punch cloud effect, right? Where it sublimates. But it actually creates snow and makes it to the ground. So we've seen that happen before in the Great Lakes. I'm wondering if maybe something like that had happened up in the, in that direction. Uh, it's fascinating for sure. But um, we've seen where factories and airplanes can trigger these events from time to time. So uh, pretty interesting uh, for, for that area. You know, that, that don't really Absolutely. see a lot of that kind of activity.
1: Absolutely. It'll be a day that a lot of folks remember. I know there are a lot of even non-weather lovers in the Asheville area that were very confused about this fine little particulate in the air this morning. Um, I'm glad that we were able to shed a little bit of light on it but meteorologists are still confused as well uh, because it doesn't happen here all that often. So yeah that's that's generally what we saw this morning uh, Wednesday morning January 13th.
0: All right guys and uh, I've been ribbed a lot on Twitter the last uh, week about snow gloating so I've got to uh I've got to call out my friends at WFMY, Christian Morgan and Tim Buckley and our good friend Wes Grimes. Yes, I did get snow and uh, I am going to gloat about it anytime that I get snow. We got some snow on uh, Monday, uh, January the 11th, a little uh, system that uh, was supposed to... uh, not uh, bring any moisture up our way at least we wasn't really forecasting any snow and we had some big snowflakes falling uh, for a good chunk of our Monday where um, we didn't really pick up any accumulation but uh, we had some big uh, snowflakes falling from the sky and um, you know I wanted to share it with my weather friends and our friends up in the Piedmont Triad area wasn't too happy about it because they weren't getting any any snowflakes so uh, Tim, Christian, Wes, that, that snows for you. Uh, there's been numerous times, especially last year, where you got accumulating snowfall and we didn't get anything here in the foothills. So, I just think it's a little payback
2: if you if you want to know the truth. I think so. Tim summed it up in, Tim summed it up in one word. He called it pain.
0: That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, got it, it is payback. It is Scotty. And it is. See,
2: it is payback. It's a payback from me cursing you after from the last storm and not getting getting all that I, much.
0: I was gonna. I was gonna say. You know, the week before that, we we was looking at a potentially big snow and didn't really materialize for uh, a big portion of the area. I guess we could talk a little bit about that before we end the show. Um, you know, uh, every model, and I'd love for you guys to chime in. Shay, I know. You don't necessarily live in the Western Carolinas, but I know you pay attention to the weather up here. Uh, Every model showed a lot of moisture and marginally cool air. So we're like, hey, we could see snow, but it may not stick because the temperatures aren't really there. We didn't really get the moisture that the models were depicting. And uh, a lot of folks uh, on that Friday and Saturday were a little upset with this. And hey, when we miss it, we miss it. We try to tell you why. And um, you know, we knew the temperatures was going to be kind of a factor, but uh, we really wasn't anticipating um, less moisture than what the models were picking up. Evan, uh, care to chime in?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Scotty. We had multiple issues, and unfortunately, it was like the domino effect. One led to the other. We had a lot of downsloping as precipitation moved into western North Carolina, uh, and that really messed up our temperatures. Uh, Instead of getting down to 30, 31 degrees, we only got down to 32 to 35 degrees, and I mean, seriously, it all—it all connects. Our temperatures weren't low enough. We didn't have enough precipitation. If we had had enough precipitation, even at 32 or 33 degrees, we could have laid down a layer of snow. Heavy precipitation rates, even with warm ground, it'll—it'll it'll overcome it. It—it it will stick. But for many locations, uh, really, unfortunately, in the lowest 300 feet of the atmosphere in western North Carolina, they. Didn't get a whole lot of snow. Maybe woke up with an inch of snow on the ground, and by Friday afternoon had nothing. All of this following a forecast of five to eight inches of snowfall um, from every outlet uh, that you can think of. It was unfortunate.
0: But weather knows how to humble you. I'm telling you, I felt I felt this big Friday afternoon. I was like, man, I, it it was tough. But uh, yeah, Scotty, I saw you said you, you said
2: you said you're 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 kind of apologizing for it. But you know, one thing that these models that um, you know, a lot of, a lot of energy goes into looking at deterministic models. Um, and I don't even think many of the dynamic models, there was some, there was the 32 panel from the Euro that showed some different things going on with the low, but you had kind of a surface low trudging across with troughing. And, and so that was bringing up sort of an easterly surface flow, which you had a little bit of warm nosing going in up front to start. Once you get that wraparound flow and you get that northerly flow, then things start to kind of culminate with the snow effect and, and your dendritic growth zone. But you know, you had an upper low to the west and you had another upper low to that west. And those two, all three of these, these factors really, it introduced a layer of dry slotting in between. And that just killed a lot of the snowfall totals for a lot of folks, even, the, even if the temperatures were there. Um, you know, some of that snow made it all the way down to uh, Aiken and Augusta. Um, there was some flurries from Augusta to Columbia, which wasn't, it was not forecast to happen, but you had that wraparound flow, the upper low, and so some of these dynamical features happen that these models, these deterministic models just don't catch and it just makes it really difficult to pin down the forecast. So, you know, it's, it's tough to tell that to the audience. They don't understand. Yeah, hey, there's there's a real science behind it, but you know, I, I didn't see where this dynamical models caught that either, you know, and when you're, when you're really working off of gut instinct and the modeling, you wouldn't have seen that dry slot coming. I think there was some, some talk about it was brought up but it, it just looked like it was going to be a better event than than what it really came down to in the end
0: yeah we was uh it wasn't your typical setup for winter weather uh, it was one that we knew we had to get everything right and um i know a lot of folks here say this but it's really true a, a degree or two means all the difference and uh when you when we look at qpf which is quantitative precipitation forecast you know it was all showing anywhere between a half an inch to an inch. And normally it's a 10 to one ratio. So you'd be looking at five to 10 inches of snow and every model had that, you know, we were kind of a little bit talking about what, like Evan said, the temperatures are marginal. So we may not eclipse that 10 inches, but it's still possible that we could get the lower ends of those and it just it didn't pan out. So it happens to sometimes.
1: To make matters worse than that, yeah. Scotty, just to really drive this home. The Asheville Airport had all snow through the entire event and measured on a snowboard. Their final snow ratio uh, with snow to QPF was a little less than six to one, um, which yeah. is just sopping wet, practically liquid snow.
0: Yeah, you could, you could, I mean, I did it. You could get the snow in your hand and squeeze it, and you just see the, the water ring out of it. So uh but uh winter's
2: not over yet winter's not over yet there's still there's still time for more events to happen so if you if you like snow just keep your keep your cap on it's probably going to come if you live in north carolina at some point we're a little harder down here in in charleston along the coast It, it takes a lot more here for that to happen but um, you know, definitely Western North Carolina, Upstate South Carolina, not over yet.
0: I was going to toss to you before we end because I know you, you really love the teleconnections and the the La Nina and El Nino side. Um, this is not our typical La Nina setup. What what do you see over the next couple of weeks? Uh, some uh, rumors out there of some uh, polar vortex split or some uh, SSW. What 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 do you think is going to happen?
2: Yeah, I think we have a stratospheric polar vortex uh, advancement in, into the into the Northern tier and down, uh, even down to the plains. And so I think what we may see as a result of that is, is a Rossby wave effect going on the last week of January. So there's there's some timing involved with that. There may be a couple of waves of cool air pulling down to the Southeast region. Um, the latter half of, of January per NOAA climate, um, climate reports that they have, have a, a cooler than average and above average precip um sort of signal going on so it's definitely something to watch i think there's going to be some potential for wintry weather to make it into the southeast just how far deep it penetrates has yet to be determined but i think deep south may see a swing at it again maybe once or twice and then we got to really watch uh western north carolina upstate south carolina and see what happens there and, and you know some of the long range models are, are showing something else at the very end of January. Uh, But that that's too far out to really make any calls on it. Yeah, it's just something we're watching for consistency in the modeling. But, you know, typically uh, for the eastern half of South Carolina, it's usually late December, early January when we would see any kind of real activity. But, hey, we've seen snow here in the first week of March. So anything's possible. I just say anything's possible between January and March, really. I mean, uh, you just got to be patient if it's something you're waiting for. We don't wish cast anything here. So, um, you know, if it's going to happen, you'll know it from us.
0: It's all about pattern recognition. And like Shay said, the pattern looks a little bit more favorable as we get towards the end of January. So gentlemen, anything uh, else to talk about before we wrap up the Sunday special, make sure that you uh, check out our Patreon page. We'd love for you to subscribe to that. There's different tiers and those different tiers give you uh, additional options. And uh, we look to expand our Patreon page this year and give you a little bit more uh access to uh, some things that we do. So we'd love for you to check that out as well. So for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you had a great weekend. We hope you enjoyed this Sunday special, and we'll see you again Wednesday night for part two with Jim Cantori.